This is Sports Jam. I'm Doug Doyle. My guest is the author of the new book, The Point After, How One Resilient Kicker Learned There Was More to Life Than the NFL. It was a lesson that took Sean Conley years to learn. The former University of Pittsburgh kicker who also spent time with the Detroit Lions, Indianapolis Colts, New York Jets, and the Scottish Claymores in Europe is our guest here on Sports Jam. Sean, your story is one of passion, hard work, perseverance, and love. It's an inspiring story. Thanks for joining us on Sports Jam. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, you battled ADD, back injuries, doubts from almost everyone, even yourself at times, but you were determined to be an NFL kicker. And it all started for you when you were eight years old at a punt, pass, and kick competition. Everybody was bigger than you there, but you were there with your late dad. Can you take us there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, you know, my uh, my father was, you know, my my best friend and he we spent a lot of time with each other. Uh, you know, we 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 shared this connection in sports. My father was uh he up up in Erie, Pennsylvania. He was like a like a, like a sports legend. He played uh football, baseball, basketball, track and you know, you know, growing up when I'd go around town, I was, you know, his, his name was Tim. I was always Timmy's boy. You no, know, you're Timmy's boy. And, uh, you know, Erie, you know, smaller, smaller town, everyone knew everyone. And so, you know, we'd spend a lot of time together and, uh, you know, we, I first played soccer, but my dad, you know, he, he, one day we went, to, <laughs> went to a bar, like in the middle of the day, like, you know, sometimes after like his softball game, or, you know, sometimes I tagged along with him to work. He was, uh, an alarm installer for ADT. We would just go into a bar and, and, and sit and talk. And he said, Hey, like, you know, you have a really strong leg. You should think about this, this punt pass and kick contest. So he took me to it. We drove out to the country and that's, that's really where my love for, for kicking began. And it was just, and actually I came in third, I, I flubbed the kick. I did well with the, with the punt in the past, but I flubbed the kick, but it was just something, you know, that I just loved about uh, the kicking um, that just, just, just set the stage for me that I would just always, uh, you know, pursue this dream and uh, yeah, that's because I think it was something that was just a joy that I just loved to do, even though I had, you know, multiple setbacks throughout my, my career and, and, and doubters, it was just something that just, that I loved so much that I was able to, to keep going throughout all the challenges. Sean Conley for the point after. He's got it. 21 to 16, the Panthers closed to within five. Even though you would learn better technique as you got older and you were an animal in the weight room for a kicker, always having the bad rap as being the person that, you know, doesn't hit the weight room. You were not that type of person, but you seem to always have a strong leg, you know, from early on. So were you blessed? Are kickers born? Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I think kickers, you know, because the, the one of the biggest parts of being a kicker is, is the mental. So, you know, a lot of kickers, when they get to a certain place in their career, whether it's making the jump from high school to college, college to the NFL, um, lack of a better term, get, get weeded out due to uh, like the mental part. It's, it's so easy to, you know, if you miss a couple kicks in a row, uh, just to start to go down this, this road of despair and possibly never get your, your career, uh, 
you know, back, back on track. Uh, so I think for, for me, there was certainly some, uh, like innate talent that I had in terms of like, like leg strength, but if it wasn't for the guidance that I received, uh, with, with the mental game, I don't think I would have got as far as I did. And I also don't think I would be able to get as far as I did, um, with, without my ADD, my, my ADHD was something that was, I'd sometimes I think about in the going back in time, it was like my biggest enemy because I'd get really hard on myself. Yet at the same time, my ADD would, 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 I would singularly focus on kicking. So times when I uh, didn't have anything to do or, you know, as a, you know, just bored at home, I would go to the field and I'd kick for hours and hours and hours. And so I think that really helped me. But at the end, you know, because it was such a battle, I, I overtrained and my, my body didn't last as long as it should have because I overtrained. So there was, there was pluses and minuses to the ADD. And with that, at a very early age, you were told that you needed to take Ritalin and you hated that and you fooled your mom even. Can you tell us a little bit of this? Uh, those stories are, are really wonderful. I mean, you know, they could be dangerous. Tell us a little bit of how you dealt with it as a young child. Yeah. You know, my mom was, you know, someone who, you know, she, she loved me, but you know, she, she was, she was a rule follower, um, which, you know, had its great things, but also in some cases, you know, that there were some challenges to that. And we went to the doctor and then, you know, she told him about like what was going on with me in school and I wasn't behaving. And the doctor said, well, he's, he, he's, he, he's got ADHD and he needs to go on these pills. And, and my mom didn't question that. And, you know, I, I knew this came out out, out of love and she wanted me to, to get better and, and to focus more. Um, but for me, the way I looked at it is, you know, especially I remember how the doctor spoke to me that there was something wrong with me, you know, that I was, that I was broken and I could be fixed like with these pills and, and then I'd be normal. And then when I went to school, um, you know, to take the pills was something I had to do in the public, uh, so to speak, I had to either take them in front of my friends, um, which I wouldn't do in, in the lunchroom. So eventually the next step was I had to go to the principal's office and the principal had to watch me take them. And so I just found ways to to not take it because I just, for some reason, you know, refuse to believe that, that I needed these. Um, so I, 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 there was a time in the lunchroom where, uh, I just, I, I threw them onto the ground. I'd hide them in my, in my, uh, in my, in my wonder bread sandwich. Uh, but it was found by the janitor. So this, this battle went on all through, through middle school, but you know, for the most part uh, out of all the prescriptions that I was given over those, those seven or eight years, I probably only took the pill a few times, like when I had to in front of my mother, but it was just something I just, I just, I just felt, you know, and I'm, you know, for a young age, I, I don't know why I felt this way, but there was just something inside me that just told me that I just, I didn't need this. And my, my, my hyperactivity was, was perfectly fine because for me, my hyperactivity was, I always wanted to be doing something. And what I always wanted to be doing was, was for the most part playing sports. And of course, this, that there was a challenge, like in school, I, I wouldn't behave so to speak. And I was always moving around in my seat, but that was just, for me, that just always felt natural. There's been someone in your life for quite some time that has provided balance and took your mind off football and always <laughs> wanting to be a kicker. It's the story that you have in the point after, you know, people see a kicker on there and go, oh, it's another football book. It's really not, you know, and before we get into your amazing story of how you became a walk-on starter for the University of Pittsburgh as a kicker and became first team AP All East, the point after is really a love story. It's about you and Karen. You knew Karen was special from the moment you laid eyes on her. And the book talks about how your relationship developed over time. Eventually, you two started dating, resulted in a wonderful marriage. 
four children. It seems like Karen was indeed the glue that kept Sean Conley together on and off the field. Yeah, there's 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 no doubt about that. I you know without the support of Karen, um, you know so much of my life would have gone in a different direction. When I was when I first decided that I was going to walk on to the University of Pittsburgh, um, you know because I was at the time I was playing for Gannon University. In those two years at Gannon that I played there, I was one of the worst kickers in the country. I ha- I made like four out of maybe 18 or 19 kicks and I could never kick the ball straight. I could kick it far, but not straight. And to go from division three to division one, there's, you know, you gotta, you gotta be able to do both. And so when I met her, um, she was one of the few people other than my, my parents that I, that I shared this dream with to going to the university of Pittsburgh and, and walking on. And I remember when I first told her, I was, I was afraid to tell her cause I thought she'd be crazy, but she just completely, um, she had the same mindset of just taking chances in life and, and, and not living with regrets and, and nothing really sound crazy. And so that, that, that was, that was huge for me to know that I could share this, this dream with someone else. And we then separated, you know, she went to the school in New York city at, at Fordham, Fordham university. Um, and I went down to Pitt, but then we got to, got together again. And then the same thing happened because then from Pitt, you know, I, I bounced around the NFL, but there was so many times where I'd go from, ultimate high of being at the top of my game, um, you know, to where my career was at to the bottom, you know, top to the bottom, top to the bottom. And without her, you know, to help me through these bottoms, I would have probably given up uh, much sooner than than I had. And who knew that your wife, Karen, her passions would eventually lead to another passion for you. You're now a yoga practitioner and you have amazing yoga in various locations. Uh, you're talking to us from the Pittsburgh area, your home right now. And she always tried to get you to do yoga. Eventually, hard-headed Sean said, okay. <laughs> and boy, talk about a life-changing decision. Yeah, for, for sure. She was she was always right about this. And she was a um, uh, a pioneer, you could say, in this whole yoga meditation world. She got, in, got into yoga in, in the mid nineties, well before it was trendy and mainstream, like, it, like it is now. And, and when I was playing football and I was just, you know, just trying to hang on to my career when I was with the Colts and the jets and in the mid nineties, she pushed me like, Hey, you got to try this yoga. Um, it'll help your body. But at the time in the mid nineties, you know, you know, nowadays all these NFL teams have, have like, some of them have like dedicated yoga instructors, meditation instructors, but this was something that just, you know, is, is very recent. And so for me, it was just, no, that, that wouldn't work. I want to, uh, th- this isn't how you train something like yoga was like the opposite of what I, what I knew would help you get better in, in football. You always had to like push, um, you know, you always had to do heavy weights. You had a, um, I had to kick a hundred balls, not, not 10. There was no idea of moderation or any, any idea, thought of, of restoration or mind. So I, I didn't listen to her. And of course, um, you know, she was right. Like once my career ended, my back was in such bad shape and it wasn't just my, my body that was in bad shape, but also, you know, I, 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 I suffered, you could say from just like, like re- regret and, you know, uh, you know, looking back on, on my career, like how I, how it could have been differently, how it could have ended differently. And so, you know, I was a mess into uh, both, both body and mind. And then I started doing yoga and, you know, I, I discovered not only, you know, did it help my body repair, um, but it also just helped me be more, more in the present moment. And so I was able to let go of, 
you know, what, what happened with my career. Also when my career ended right around the same time, my father passed away. So I was struggling with that. And so that's what led me to, to what I, what I do now. And so I, um, I'm very grateful for the job I have now because I feel like I can help people who go through similar, you know, career changes, um, loss of a loved one. And, 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 and because one of the great things about yoga meditation helps people get in the present moment. And so this is what's really, this is, this is what I found that I really love to do now, actually more than even kicking footballs. <laughs> We're speaking with Sean Connolly here on sports jam, the former professional and university of Pittsburgh kicker who now is a yoga practitioner in Pittsburgh. You were also a victim of circumstance. You know, it wasn't just the fact that uh, injuries held you back at times, but you also tried out with some very tough teams that had some really good kickers. And so, it, you know, I, I think if just you would have eventually made it to a different team, I think your, you know, your real dream of sticking on with a, an NFL team would have happened because everybody after you were done with your tryout said you have an NFL leg. And that included many top coaches uh, in the, in the NFL. And you certainly uh, had some influential people in your life. I want to talk about Amos Jones, the special teams coach at Pitt. Uh, He was under head coach Paul Hackett at the time. This guy believed in you from day one dealing with an Alabama program and from the South, he kind of felt like an outsider uh, at the university of Pittsburgh, but you were a walk-on and that didn't matter to this guy. He saw something in you right away. Can you talk about your relationship? Yeah. Amos, um, you know, we're still great friends today. And if it wasn't for Amos, I you know, would be sitting here today. My, 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 I would have never been a starter at the university of Pittsburgh. And we just somehow, uh, descended upon the University of Pittsburgh at the at the same time, and and it, when he joined the staff, he was it was his first year there. He'd come from Temple before that, um, Alabama, and I was just this this outsider walk on. Uh, when I arrived, I was I was seventh on the depth chart. They already had three guys on on scholarship, and there was other walk ons on there. Uh, but it was you know. Amos was the coach or is the coach. He's actually still a coach in the NFL today. He's with the New York giants. He didn't care about any of that, what, what your background was or anything. It was all about, it was all about attitude and, you know, and, and, and work ethic. And I think that's like where, where we, where we connected. We all, I think we also connected because we're both like underdogs, so to speak, you know, for me being a walk-on and him being a young coach from the South. And, and, you know, at the time, uh, you know, our, our team was pretty regional. Like, you know, now you have all this national recruiting, you had it back then, but it's nothing to the degree where it is now. And so most of the players and the coaching staff, you know, were, were from the North. And so, Amos being a um, a coach from the South, you know, there was players that, you know, they, they, they made fun of his accent because he, because he was different. And so I think him and I just, just gravitated and we just spent a lot of time in his, in his office, just, you know, talking about life. And, and we forged this, this relationship beyond football. And there was just something that he, um, you know, about, about me, I guess that, that he believed in me. And so we shared this connection and, um, uh, he took a chance on me. He actually, the, the head coach at the time, Paul Hackett, uh, wasn't going to make me the, the, the starter. He wanted somebody else. And, and, you know, I, I've nothing against, against Paul Hackett because it made total sense because why would you, why would you make the starter this, this walk on out of nowhere that has no experience in division one, when you had all these other guys who had game experience against West Virginia and Penn state, but, uh, Amos somehow throughout training camp, 
um, was able to talk him into it. And, you know, I performed well. And then, and then half an hour before kickoff against our first game against Kent state, he, he, he told me right on the field that I was the starter. So, and then, and then I actually struggled after that. I had the first few games I struggled. Delay of game that will cost them five. Watching Conley in warmups, his range appeared to be about 44, 45, 46 yards. Scott Kaplan would have been their place kicker this year. He had an appendectomy last month, so he's gone. And Conley, a walk-on transfer from Gannon University, has become the kicker. 46 yards. the distance but wide left and the head coach wanted to wanted to yank me but you know Amos told him to hang in there and and uh we made it through and we had a great year with where I had a great year kicking wise and now they'll send in the field goal team Conley who missed earlier from 47 this is 44 yards out of the hole of John Ryan and back up quarterback this one's got the distance, and it's good. So with 9.51 to go third quarter, the Panthers finally have something to cheer about, and they get on the scoreboard. They still trail by four. 16 out of 19 field goals uh, is pretty darn good. Uh, I think uh, everybody's NFL kicker would want to have somebody that could have that kind of accuracy, too, like you did at the University of Pittsburgh, where you played with, you know, former Jets and Pitt star Curtis Martin. But we hear about all these great encounters with famous players throughout your career. Dan Marino, Barry Sanders, and this guy behind me, and also wearing a shirt in honor of your connection with Jerome Bettis. You played against the University of Notre Dame, and you were a captain of the special teams for Pitt. You walk onto the field, and there's a guy who's shorter than you, <laughs> but intimidating, the bus. Jerome Bettis. What do you remember about that day? Yeah, well, that, that was one of the first things I remember about is going out there and actually being taller than, but he just had this like amazing presence and, you know, huge legs and just, uh, you know, he had, the, I remember he had this, this grin and, and grin on, and you could just tell like, he just loved football and he was about to, to make something happen. And yeah, that, that game, he just, he, he, he went off and that was, uh, um, I believe it maybe his sophomore year and, uh, you know, we hung in there for, for a couple of quarters, but you know, they just, they just, they just wore us down with him. I got really fortunate that game. That was the game where, um, I made my longest kick in, in college and happened to be, and I didn't know this till, till, till later that the Detroit lions were there. Um, they had scouts. And then when, when the draft happened, I wasn't drafted, but right after the draft happened, I got a call from the Detroit lions and they, they told me that they were, they were in the stands. So I didn't, I didn't realize that was the other element happening that day, but that was, uh, that was, that was probably like my big moment in, in, in college. And signed as a, a free agent by the Detroit lions where, as I mentioned, you encountered some legendary players throughout your career. Sanders on the draw, longest run of the game, and he's in the clear. 40, 30, inside the 20. Barry Sanders brings this crowd to life. You would play catch with Barry Sanders, the Heisman Trophy winner and Hall of Fame running back of the Detroit Lions. Did he just, was he that kind of guy? He just liked you? Why did he want you to play catch with <laughs> 
Yeah, he he was that just that that kind of guy. It was it was the strangest thing. It was one of the first couple of days of training camp, and he just walked up and approached me and said, "Hey, do you want to play catch to to warm up?" And you know, of course. And so you know, we started playing catch, and then that was like that was like a ritual until I was cut about a about six weeks later. But uh, every day before practice, I would I would I would play catch with Barry Sanders, and it was just you know he was he was such an unassuming player and he was such a, um, a player that you, you just had this like maturity beyond the game. Um, when we played the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys, we played them over in, in London and the first few nights, the, the head coach let us, you know, stay out to like three and then the, the curfew would go down to two and one. And I'd go out every night with, with the rookies and have a good old time and doing what I thought, you know, um, an NFL rookie or NFL player, you know, would do in, in, in London. Um, but one night I came back and, and Barry Sanders was, was sitting in the lobby and uh, he's reading a, a little, uh, a little paperback book, a novel. And I sat down next to him. We started talking and uh, I shared with him my thoughts about, and he asked me about how camp was going and so forth. And I told him I was worried about getting cut and like what it meant for my career. And, and he told me, you know, like, Hey, there's, there's more to life than, than football which, you know, just at the time when he told me I wasn't ready to, to hear it. And of course he, he was right, but it was just something that just for me, cause that, that was my entire identity was football. And so I, I couldn't see that. So I didn't quite know what he was talking about. And so it didn't surprise me when, you know, he, he retired early and it seemed like he, he was totally good with it, which he just is such a rarity in, 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 in following professional sports that, that players of his caliber or any caliber, but, you know, bow out as early as they did. But, you know, that's, that's actually where I got the, uh, the idea for the, the, the subtitle of the book that there's more life than, than the NFL. And that was from, from my encounter with, with Barry Sanders, who was, who was uh, so wise. Another NFL hall of famer that you had kind of strange encounters with is Dan Marino. Now he wasn't the quarterback at Pitt when you were there, Alex Van Pelt was, and Alex went on to play some time in the NFL and became a college broadcaster and NFL uh, announcer in, at various points, but, uh, and highly regarded by the way, as that, but Dan Marino, you wound up with him at a bar one day and, and, and I know you can't say exactly what he, uh, cause this is, this is a family show, but he, he gave you some advice when you said that you were trying out for the pit squad as a walk-on. Yeah, he, he sure did. We, we were, it was uh, the blue gold was blue gold game was happening. And that was like our spring game where we play against each other to, to culminate the end of, of, of spring ball. And I was in like the, uh, the, the bars called Peter's pub uh, at, the, at the time it was uh, well just, just closed recently after all these years. But anyways, it was like the, the, the pit football bar and, and at the bar sitting by himself was, was Dan, he was in town to do something with, with the blue gold game. And I just started talking to him about, you know, what was happening, you know, with the, you know, suits can be in the NFL and so forth. And he just said, Hey, here's my advice for you. And that's to kick the blanking blank out of the ball. And that, that was it. And, you know, like that was Dan Marino, just like very simple cut to the chase. Don't think about it. Just, <laughs> just do what you got to do. But it was years later that you started kicking balls and it was hitting a vehicle. <laughs> As you were trying out for the Miami Dolphins, that vehicle was Dan Marino's. So, can you tell us that story? <laughs> yeah, I had a, I had a tryout with the uh, with the Dolphins at the, at their facility there, and we we started off with some with some short field goals. And behind the goalposts, there was this big giant fence, and 
behind that fence was, was, was the team parking lot. And I just, I said to the coach, Hey, there's, there's a van right there that I, that I think, uh, that I think, I think I'm going to be able to kick the ball over the fence and it's going to hit the van. And the coach said, Oh, don't worry about it. I, I, I know who owns that van. I said, are you sure? He said, yeah. And I, I remember thinking that this quite possibly could be Dan Marino's. I I'd saw him earlier in the locker room. This is, this was the year uh, we had that Achilles injury after the Cleveland Browns game. So I saw him get rehab. And I also knew that he had a lot of kids. I, I, I forget the exact number, <laughs> but he had a very big family. So I'm thinking that there's only one person on this team who has this huge conversion van in the parking lot, it's Dan Marino. And so I'm thinking, I don't want to hit Dan's Dan's van. So anyways, the, the guy says, don't worry, you'll, you, you won't hit it. And he starts laughing. So I kind of knew what was going on, that he knew that you know I, I, I could hit it. So I started kicking and I hit it, hit it once. I hit it again. I kept it inside the van. And then I see Dan coming out of the facility and I'm thinking, oh, this is it. And he, uh, he yells and he says, Hey, sign that guy, you know, sign him right now to a contract. So he didn't seem to care that I was hitting his van. <laughs> <laughs> great story. And there are a lot of great stories in the point after how one resilient kicker learned there was more to life than the NFL. When you think about this book and your career, there are so many things you can look at and say, what are the lessons that you would like people to take away from this book? But from your time at Grove City, where you struggled as a, as a student, and then Gannon, when people started to believe in you, to the University of Pittsburgh, where you overcame all kinds of odds, what is the message that you want of all of them that are sent in this book that you would like people to come away with? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I had a lot of, you know, my, my hope for the book was that, you know, that, that, that some lessons would come out and I was hoping that, you know, people just would resonate with, you know, just, just some, some lesson, but you know, the, the biggest underlying message that I had to hear that is that, is that we are, you know, more who we, you know, we think we are like, and that our, that our life, you know, at some point could change directions and we don't have control over it. And, you know, for me, for, from, from the age eight until 27, I always thought, that I was going to be an NFL football player. And for me, I, th I always thought that that would be the only way that I'd be happy. And so if I was an NFL football player, I would, I would, I would make a certain amount of money and I would have a family and everything would be perfect. And so, you know, it, the idea that my wrapping everything into like my career um, is that it just, it, it, it just, it, there, there's just so much more to that. And so the hope was, you know, not only would this book resonate with, you know, people who are former athletes, but just, just for anybody who, you know, goes through life changes and it, that, that, that this can help inspire them to, you know, maybe just you know, be open to, you know, whatever the possibilities are that there's more and that, and that when we, when we spend time, uh, you know, thinking about, oh, this is how I wanted my life to go. And this is how it should be. When we, when we let go of that, we you know, it can open us up to, uh, you know, possibilities. And for me that it, it did that, you know, when I eventually let go of my NFL career, it opened me up to this career, which I've been finding to be, you know, super fulfilling of, you know, teaching yoga and, and meditation. Now the family has been a, a big part for you, uh, with four wonderful children, your 14 year old son just joined a baseball team that plays most of their games in Trafford at the All-American UPMC, which is not far from where I started my baseball career at Franklin Regional High School, so I know the area well. And your son's a catcher. Good choice. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a really good catcher. You know, I never played, but I played a little bit of baseball, but um, 
he is not, he's very little interest in football and he's playing baseball and, and it, it makes me happy as long as he's happy and, you know, whatever he's doing, you know, it's been interesting, you know, having the NFL career I had and the football careers, you know, with our kids, I just like, now that I know what I know that there's so much more than sports, we've never pushed them at all towards sports, but you know, they've all been into it to a certain degree. And he certainly, he, he just, he, I see that, you know, he loves, loves baseball and, and, uh, he, he wants to play so much. I sometimes have to put like a little like halt on it. He wants to join like four teams and he wants to travel to Georgia right now and all around the country and play baseball. But I'm trying to just keep that in check and encourage, you know, other sports and other activities and so forth. But I can, you know, it, it's, it's hard these days, you know, with this whole sports specialization that I have to like, Hey, like you know, pump the brake, help him pump the brakes once in a while. <laughs> Both you and your wife, Karen have pretty much always been fit. So Yoga has been, uh, you know, something that was always a part of her makeup, as you mentioned. What's the message you want to send about yoga? Yeah, to, to just, you know, have an open mind and, and, and just, just try it. I think, you know, all of us can, you know, benefit from just having some sort of, uh, you know, mental health break. And, you know, yoga can do that. The thing about yoga, which makes it challenging because it is so popular now, there's so many, so many different styles. There's, there's you know, some more passive styles to like very hot, aggressive styles. So to just, you know, try different styles, be open to it. And, you know, and it doesn't even take much to have the, the physical mental benefits from yoga it can just be like a couple times a week for a half an hour, um, can make a big difference, but it just, it just helps, you know, you know, for myself and, you know, other people that do it, it just helps them, you know, if they, if, if they're, you know, they, they suffer from like a really busy mind, you know, just having a regular yoga practice, a few, two, three times a week can really help them have some skills, you know, when they're stressed out in the middle of the day and they just, they just, they, they just need that, that mind break. You know, with your excellent season that you had at the University of Pittsburgh, you'll always be connected with Panthers lore. And speaking of Panthers lore, I wanted to show you this. This is a uh, picture that I took and eventually had framed and signed by Heisman Trophy winner in 1976. The greatest player I ever saw live at a college football game, Tony Dorsett. He was Tony Dorsett at the time, uh -huh. Tony Dorsett, number 33. I was a charity coach of one of our basketball teams uh, for the media. And my daughter was four at the time and had just come from a performance. She's now 28 and she's a teacher. So that goes to her when I, uh, when I move on, uh, I lost my dad in 2020. He was 90. You lost your dad at the age of 55 to colon cancer. And uh, a very touching part of the book, the whole family around him as he did take his last breath. The impact that that had on you had to be uh, tremendous because he was so young. Yeah. And, 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 and he was my best friend. I mean, we, we spoke every day. And, you know, other than Karen as, as like my support, um, it, it, it was him. And what, what made it really hard, too, was to luckily for me, 
Um, I had Karen and we had two kids at the time. The harder part was seeing my mom, my mom alone. And that really, um, you know, this isn't in the book, but the continuation to the story to that is, you know, she fell into like a deep depression. Uh, she eventually uh, developed Alzheimer's. She now has late stage Alzheimer's. So it was just, I was so devastated myself, but it was for, for what that meant. And he wouldn't see my, uh, like his grandchildren and our relationship, but it was just like what I knew that would do to, to my mother. We were, I was lucky to have a very, um, you know, healthy upbringing with, with my parents. And they, you know, they, they, they were just, you know, just super loving parents that came to all my football games and always came down to visit the grandkids. But it was just, I, I knew that once that happened, that, that my mom would have a very hard time, uh, moving on and, 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 and getting over with it. And unfortunately she, she was never able to do that. So that was, that was, we're still seeing the, the, the effects of it, of, of his loss today, unfortunately. Hmm. Wanted to mention before we let you go too, is that I love that you mentioned Tom Dempsey in this book, because hmm. he was one of the few kickers that was straight on and at, for a long time had the longest field goal, 63 yards in NFL history eventually was, was broken. But you're a sidewinder. When you uh, took over, it was the Crave. Morton Anderson was was the man when you were were going through. Um, will we ever see anybody kick straight on ever again, Sean? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think th- th- my understanding is like like uh, uh, the physics of it all just won't. They, they you know hitting it straight on it just it just can't go can't go as far and there's so much more uh margin for air too like so i i it, it, when i was was getting into kicking there was there was still a fair amount of straight on kickers in the nfl um, you know, I remember the Cleveland Browns had one, uh, there was Mark Mosley, uh, with the Redskins. So there was out there. So I remember toying with it cause it, it wasn't dead yet to see how it worked. And it just, it, you know, if you don't hit it, cause you, you, you have to be pretty perfect hitting it soccer style, but there's, there is a little bit of margin for air where you maybe you can hit like a knuckleball through, but hitting it straight on with, with the toe ball, any you're off just a, just the teeniest bit. And it's 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 no good so i th- i think it's over <laughs> and when you think about mark mosley he was a terrific kicker for, for the redskins how difficult that was under under those circumstances so uh when you were working you learned the technique of the sweet spot uh, mm-hmm. for kicking field goals and it turned your helicopter field goals into powerhouses where's the sweet spot for our young kids that are learning how to kick, Sean. Yeah. So the sweet spot on, on the foot, if they were to just like look at their foot and just feel down that, that little bone right underneath the, the like the big toe. Uh, yeah, that's it. And actually if, you know, that's, that's actually what, ch- uh, changed the trajectory. Um, no pun intended of, of my career when I was at the university of Pittsburgh, when I was watching films with, um, Amos Jones, um, and a little side story to that, you know, what I was pretty hard on myself, you know, trying to perfect my kicking. So after practice, I would come into his room, pop in the videos, I'd watch him over and over again. And then one day he, 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 he yelled at me and told me to stop. And he said, like, you spend way too much time on your mistakes. And he started telling me his story. Amos always loved to tell stories about his time. You know, he always loved to remind me that he, that he played for 
coach, you know, Bear Bryant and, and, and played for him. So he shared me the story about what Bear Bryant would do most of the time after their games. He'd bring the whole team into the video room and they'd only spend a few minutes, he said, on like mistakes, like, oh, you know, we, you know, what happened here, what happened here. But then he said that then the bulk of the training, he would show them all the plays that they were successful because he said his whole mentality, uh, Bear Bryant, was to reinforce like the like the talents and, and the skills that the players had to get that more into their head versus them always thinking about how they screwed up. And so I apply that to my kicking. And so he said, well, why don't you watch your kicks over and over again that you that you hit that sweet spot and get that into your head. And so you can start to like always, you know, when you're doing your pregame, you know, mental ritual, you're thinking about that. And so that was, that was huge. That was a big change for me because I was like, as you mentioned earlier, I, I struggled with accuracy, but once I was able to figure out that sweet spot and that was from mostly the mental and, 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 and when I was watching those videos, getting that. So I took the videos that I watched on the screen and, and transport them, I guess you could say in, into my head, then I went from, you know, not only having the, the, the skill of, of distance, but then also accuracy, which, which helped me get to, to, to the NFL. So there you go, kids. You got visualization, you got repetition, you've got confidence, and then you can become a kicker. Maybe you'll start some of these young kids. Maybe they'll start with punt, pass, kick competition like you did, Sean. Uh, so the last question I have for you is, can you watch an NFL game and if somebody misses an extra point or a, or a chip shot, does that bring you back or does that bother <laughs> you or have you truly moved on from that? Well, I, I have truly moved on, but if you were to ask me this question, maybe 10 years ago when I was still could have played, like, let's say when I was in my thirties or forties, um, it would have bothered me, but what, what, how I used to watch it, this is something I'm really glad I let go of is like when I was, my career just ended and, and I was in my mid twenties. I thought I could still play, you know, when I would see a kicker miss, I'm like, Oh, you know, like I, 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 I could play for them. And it was, it wasn't really like a healthy way to think because, you know, it, it, almost like I was like rooting for the guys to, to miss, but then, then that's definitely shifted. So like when I, when I watch now, you know, every kicker, even if it's a team I'm not pulling for, I, I hate to see any kicker miss. Cause I, I, I know what they go through and, um, uh, you know, so I, I've definitely been able to move that, but there, there, I've had some crazy moments, um, not recently where I thought like I could, I could, I could make a comeback because for me, like when my career ended, it was, it was just, it was just injury. It, it, it wasn't that I couldn't, it didn't have the skill or I didn't have the mindset. And so that's why it was always so frustrating to me that I'd always thought, Hey, if I would have not got hurt, I could have still been in the NFL, but, you know, luckily, you know, over time you know, heals all wounds and I've been able to, to move on. And now I'm just, you know, every single kicker that's out there, I, 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 I pull for. And so when I hear these stories, like it'll happen a lot. I'll still get texts. Like, like if the Steelers kicker is struggling, I'll still get texts from people saying, Hey, you should play for the Steelers. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, and I, 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 so I, I feel for every kicker who, who's struggling, which, you know, this year it'll, it'll happen again with, you know, the 30 teams, there'll be four or five teams that'll have kicker drama. It, it, it'll happen. The book is the point after how one resilient kicker learned there was more to life than the NFL. It's the story of Sean Connolly, and it's brought to us by Lions Press. Sean, thanks so much for joining us on Sports Jam and continued success with your yoga career and your family as well. It's a wonderful story. It was a great read and congratulations. Oh, thanks so much, Doug. I really appreciate it. It's a pleasure speaking with you.
Sports Jam as a WBGO Studios podcast. You can hear all the shows at WBGO.org slash Sports Jam. Find Sports Jam with Doug Doyle on the NPR list of podcasts or on iTunes. Until our next Sports Jam session, I'll see you at the game. Don't forget to check out all the WBGO Studio podcasts like this one. This week on the Checkout Podcast, we gallop with nine horses, an acoustic chamber trio with ambitions of being an electric orchestra. We talk to its founders, composer and mandolinist Joe Brent and violinist Sarah Caswell with me, Simon Rettner. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.